Hey. Hey, Travis. Listen. Remember you were telling me about how you couldn't sleep at night? You're always going to the porno theaters because you couldn't sleep. And remember how I gave you one of my podcasts? One of my movie review podcasts? You know, one that I make? Because I thought maybe if you listen to that, instead of going to the porno theater or stalking that lady down at the campaign headquarters, you could listen to one of my podcasts. And I saw you listening to it, and I just kind of wanted to know, you know, um, you know, what you really thought of it, because I'm really, really proud of it, you know? So what do you think? Uh, I don't know. That's about the dumbest thing I ever heard. You talking to me? You talking to me? Hello, everybody, and welcome to Late Seating. I am Jason Harding. And I'm Steve Shives. And on this show, Steve and I take a classic movie and see if it lives up to its reputation, whether that reputation is good or bad. And this time around, its reputation is good. Good, right, Steve? Uh, yeah, I would say so. It's it's considered one of the definitive works of one of the great filmmakers of his generation. So yeah, pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. Just pretty it good. was all right. It's fine. It's Decent. Fine. Yeah, it's all right. It's not it's, good. It doesn't haunt you for a little while after you watch it, right, Steve? No, it's pretty much very light. You can just basically just set it very down frothy. and walk away from it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a little slice of life tale about a happy, low-go-lucky guy. Yeah, exactly. Just a, what a movie? Trifle. What movie are we reviewing, Steve? <laughs> <laughs> we are Is reviewing. it Fight Club? Because boy, uh, <laughs> it felt like it sometimes. <laughs> we 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 never talk about that. Oh right, I'm sorry. Uh, you're, you're breaking the first rule. No, the movie we are reviewing is uh, that inimitable 1976 psychological thriller noir drama slice ah, of life neo noir neo noir uh, taxi driver. Ooh, taxi driver. Yeah, Yay! buddy. All right, well, I don't got nothing. What about you, Steve? Do you, want, do you have any trivia for Taxi Driver? You know, it's such an obscure movie, and it generated so little interest. I'm so among... tired of that joke. Um, we'll get used I'm to it. I'm putting it down right now. I'm editing it out. <laughs> what am I I'm supposed to that. Every movie that we watch is a tiny little movie that no one's ever heard of. <laughs> what am I supposed to come up with something new? Yes! Um... What anyway. am I not paying you for? <laughs> you pay me in experience and exposure. And love. And love. You love can't, mostly. Mostly which, love. None of which pay my bills. I know, I know. If um, you could pay, if believe me, if you could pay bills with love, I got plenty to give you. I mean, you can pay bills with love indirectly. Like, you know, you have to, you have to trade the love for money first, and then you... Oh, anyway, that's, that's a love, whole. Steve. That's I don't, know who's, to, I don't well, know who's been telling you that's, that's love. That's not love? Your pimp's oh. been fucking lying, dude. Oh, that's what's shit. going on. I thought that was love. He said it was love. No, no, no. How, um, how, how, do you, how is it love if it only lasts 15 minutes? Ah, good point. Uh-huh. Hey, Steve. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I do have some trivia. <laughs> Let's see. We've intimated that I love you way more than, than you can re- reciprocate. The We've usual. implied that you're a prostitute. <laughs> see, this is, the, this is the beauty of our show. Is that beauty? This is the beauty of of we both do our completely separate prep. We don't talk about uh-huh. what we're going to talk about during the show at all before we record. Right, and right, then this right, shit right. just comes out. Okay, yeah, it's beautiful, like the rainbow sheen of oil on a dead duck on on a, on a beach somewhere. Exactly. 
Exactly. This is the second podcast of this show where I've mentioned a dead duck. I think I want to go and kill a duck, Steve. <laughs> You've got that on the brain. Isn't I mentioned like a- it last time as like <laughs> about Beethoven's Ninth, like watching a, a, a duck die, and now that there's another dead duck. <laughs> And uh, Gasoline Rainbow, isn't that a Robert Pinsky poem? (laughs) Anyway, uh, so, okay, so. uh, You and your English major background. (laughs) Assuming I got, assuming I'm remembering that right, I may have that reference. I think it was a Robert Pinsky poem, but anyway. um, It's all right, you're getting to that age. Yeah, who cares? (laughs) Something, something. Some, some white guy 30 years older than me wrote a poem. People liked it, whatever. Uh-huh. Hey, um, Steve, yeah. we're five minutes in. Hey, <laughs> I, got, I, got some, I got some trivia. I got some trivia. So this was perhaps uh, the first movie to really establish Robert De Niro's legend as a super dedicated method actor. Because yeah. one, of, one of the things about this movie, if anybody knows anything behind the scenes about the movie, they know that in order to prepare for his role in this film, he actually got a job driving a taxi, and he drove a taxi in the city for about 15 hours a day for a <laughs> yep. month in order mm-hmm. to get into character and, and understand the, the life of, of Travis Bickle. So I don't know if that, that probably wasn't the first time he ever did that, but it's the first. It's the the one that sort of started him as having that reputation of the. the he also the lost thirty five fucking pounds for this movie. Yeah, that's right. And also this, that I um I didn't I didn't write this bit down, but you just reminded me of it. This uh, they were shooting this movie right when uh, Godfather Two was out, and and I think yeah. either either while they were in pre production or when they were actually shooting it, uh, De Niro won his Oscar for uh, ah. for Godfather Two, and the studio was worried that he would ask for more money because now he was a hotter commodity but uh he he didn't he yeah. agreed he agreed to uh to to make the film for whatever his his previously agreed upon fee was because he, he was wanted also, to see the movie made that much he was also filming 1900 the bertolucci film oh that's at right the same time as this one so he was flying back and forth oh. from new york to italy um i'm so. sure that i'm sure i'm sure that that fed into his performance yeah. Any other yeah. trivia? Uh, yeah, there's a there's a neat little bit of trivia uh, for for all you serial killer fans who I'm sure are big fans of our show as well. Um, in the uh, in the coffee shop scene, Travis informs us through his voiceover that uh, he orders a piece of apple pie with a slice of melted cheese. Yeah, that, yellow that, cheese. Yeah, a, sli- a melted slice of yellow cheese. Uh, yeah. That's the same thing that notorious serial killer Ed Gein asked for police for in exchange for a full confession after he was arrested. He said, I'll it's tell also, you everything as long as you give me a piece of apple pie with a slice of melted cheese. I want to tell you something and I don't want you to judge me. Okay. That's my favorite. I don't, I don't like cake. So traditionally on my birthdays, I would ask for a piece of apple pie with a slice of melted yellow cheese on top. I mean, there's and nothing a wrong with ice cream on the side. There's nothing wrong with that. And a knife to kill drifters. That's what I like. <laughs> that's, that's how I spend my birthday. Can't have it anymore since I became a diabetic. But I mean, yeah. But have you, you ever can had dream. cheese on pie? Um, once or twice, yeah. Wasn't it great? It's yes, absolutely. Say, Why? Be more. Come on, it was awesome. Oh cheese man, on pie cheese is awesome. on pie is the best. Oh god, you know if they give me pie and there's not cheese on it, you know what I do? <laughs> I pick it up in my hand, I make a fist with it and crumble it into a ball, and I just uh-huh. drop it on the floor. I don't. I just mash it right in the waitress's face. <laughs> I just. Well, I, I like said, what I do. Look closely. <laughs> is, do you see something missing from this pie? Oh yes, for cheese on this. You see any fucking cheese on there? <laughs> no, I don't. I just. I just give her like a, a cold, you know, death stare. I just. I drop the crumbled well, pie the on the floor and I just look at it. That's the difference between me and you. You think about doing things. 
I do them. <laughs> <laughs> I let my demons out to play. That's why Jason Harding's not my real name. Anyway, on to <laughs> who made it. <laughs> Jason <ready>? Dean. <laughs> Stop it. You ready? Yes. Not my real face either. <laughs> oh, oh, the Ed Gein jokes just keep coming. <laughs> da, 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 da. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. It was directed by Martin Scorsese. I don't need to. <laughs> We've done him, what, twice already? Once. Wait, once? Twice? Uh, we We've did, done him uh, once. We did Raging Bull, right? Yeah, we did yeah, the we Raging, did Raging Bull. Bull. Yeah. So I don't need to tell you about him. You know who he is. He's the greatest American director ever. Produced by Julia Phillips. Um, she also produced The Sting and Close Encounters of the Third Kind and a couple other things, and then she just kind of disappeared. Along with her husband, Michael Phillips, who also produced this movie. Good for them. Married couples. Working together. <laughs> Written by Paul Schrader. Hey, Steve, what else has Paul Schrader done? Oh, my God. He's one That's of the most... noteworthy. He's one of the most uh, prolific screenwriters of his generation. He uh, yeah? he wrote the screenplay to Raging Bull. He wrote the oh, screenplay... Oh, no, remember, we covered that. They threw That's... out his script and they rewrote it. Well, okay, he's he he technically wrote the screenplay to Rage. Uh, Last right, Temptation right. of Christ, which is one of uh, my they, favorite. They threw uh, out his script and rewrote it. <laughs> uh, okay, here's here's one of my favorites of his that he also directed. Okay, uh, Autofocus. I never even saw that. Oh, great fucking movie! Willem Dafoe and Greg Kinnear uh, about uh, oh the oh, what's his uh, the guy from Hogan's Heroes. Oh yeah, I didn't know he wrote that. He wrote and directed it, yeah. Oh, that's that's another nice light frothy film, which is something you can kick back with your family and watch. Exactly, right? yeah. Uh, Bob Crane, I, I blanked on his name. Yeah, yeah, it's the story Crane. of Bob Crane's life, Bob Crane's dark nightmare of a life after Hogan's <laughs> Heroes. Such a good movie. Starring Robert De Niro as Travis Bickle. Nope, I don't have to, do I? No, it's Robert De Niro. <laughs> Jodie Foster as Iris Easy Steensma. Stensma? Steensma. Steensma, yeah. Steensma. She was how old, Steve? I believe she was about 14. Playing yeah. how old, Steve? Playing, uh, if, we, if we take Harvey Keitel's character at his word, about 12 and a half. Yeah. yeah. So she was in, I'm not kidding, she was like in five movies this year. Yeah. Oh. She was in a lot of stuff. She was a super busy child actor, for sure. That's right. Sybil Shepherd as Betsy. You you know Sybil Shepherd from Moonlighting. Mm-hmm. And um Sybil. Sybil. She was in she was in Last Picture Show. Oh yeah, she was in Last Picture Show. That's true. Yeah. Harvey Keitel is Charles Sport Rain or slash Matthew. So, um, boy, he looks young in this movie. Oh my god, he looks like I. I, I do you th- am I the only one who thinks he looks a little bit like Tommy Wiseau? Yeah, with in that this long, movie hair. With the long hair. Yeah. He looks a lot. He would make yeah. a great young Tommy Wiseau. Hey, you guys know who Carl Harvey Keitel is? <laughs> Albert Albert Brooks as Tom. Albert Brooks was um, now most people just know him from his movies, but he was an outstanding uh, comedy writer and mm-hmm. comedian in the 1970s, and lots of people wanted to work with him, right, Steve? Absolutely, he's terrific. And I think but, this was his first major acting credit, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. He's responsible for films like uh, Defending Your Life and that one about America. I can't remember where he's driving around in an RV. Oh, yeah. And, and he played a... F- what, what movie was it? Um, he played the villain in that car driver movie. Driver? No. Drive. Is it Driver? Drive. Drive. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he's so... Oh, he's such he's a good. good villain. He's good. Leonard Harris is Charles Palpatine. I'm oh. sorry, Palantine. <laughs> George Lucas made the same mistake. And then nothing. Peter Boyle is wizard. <laughs> Peter Boyle, you guys know him. What did you want? I did, ah, nothing. Yeah. 
Um, Peter Boyle as Wizard. You guys know Peter Boyle from Young Frankenstein mm-hmm. and a bunch of movies in the 70s. He's a fantastic actor. Yeah. Please don't judge him because he was on that long-running show, Everybody Loves Raymond. He did so much more before that. Yeah. He was just old and he needed the money. <laughs> he needed to get paid. That's true. He needed to get paid. Come on. Uh, Harry Northrup as Doughboy, nothing. Norman Matlock as Charlie T. Nothing. Steve Prince as Easy Andy. Um, the only other notable thing about Stephen Prince is that Martin Scorsese then went on to make a documentary about that guy's life. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I didn't I see anything special about that dude. Did you? Not really. Yeah. Whatever. Maybe that's why we're not all talking about that great documentary <laughs> Martin Scorsese made. Hey, he tried something that didn't work out. Yeah, exactly. Martin Scorsese. Mm-hmm. Probably playing this character because no one wanted to fucking touch it. <laughs> I'm not saying those lines. Hey, are we going to be able to shoot this week, Martin? I can't find anybody to play the homicidal racist guy who wants to shoot a woman <laughs> in a vagina with a 44 Magnum. Why doesn't anyone want to play the murderous racist future wife killer? <laughs> like, I don't get it. It's such a great role. His role is listed as homicidal passenger watching window. Yeah, yeah, okay. Murray, uh-huh. Murray Mustin as Iris as Iris's bouncer. Diane Abbott as porn theater concession girl. Guess what, Steve? What? She was married to Robert De Niro. <gasps> really? That's yeah, why they had all... such chemistry. Yeah, that's oh boy. I bet she treats him like that all the time at home. <laughs> he, he he never got her to to, to tell him her name yeah. the whole time uh, they were married. Please, can you please open the unlock the door <laughs> come on don't be that way don't be that way <laughs> come on open the door don't be like that you don't have to be like that Vic Argo as Melio the store owner Richard Higgs as tall secret security agent Garth Avery as Iris's friend Bill Micklin as Tom's assistant uh, Joe Spinell as taxi station personnel officer Nat Grant as store robber Robert Maroff as Anthony Scaloso uh, who is a mafioso with Iris Brenda Dixon as actress in soap opera and Bo K. Kaiser as actor in soap opera Music by Bernard Herman This was Bernard's last score. You guys have heard Bernard's music in Citizen Kane, mm. Vertigo, North by Northwest, The Twilight Zone. He, he's probably orchestrating the universe at this point. I don't know. <laughs> he did practically everything. Quite possibly the the, the greatest film composer ever. Uh, you know, every time you say that, John Williams cries a little. <laughs> you know, do you have you ever, did you ever hear the story of when uh, I think it was it was during the production of this movie when Steven Spielberg met uh, Bernard Herrmann? And and he he said you know Bernard Herrmann I think you're the greatest film composer and Bernard yeah. Herrmann said oh yeah well then why do you always use John Williams? <laughs> <laughs> Cinematography by Michael Chaplin and he's he shot uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers the remake and more importantly to you youngsters out there uh, mm. Space Jam ah yes. <sighs> Edited by Marsha Lucas, who also saved Star Wars <laughs> and unfortunately was married to George for a while. So, yeah, good on yeah. you, Marsha, for uh, good editing, I guess. I don't Yeah, yay. You had a busy couple of years, didn't you, Marsha? Oh, boy. 
Tom Rolfe, who uh, also cut uh, one of the editors on The Right Stuff, and Melvin Shapiro. Hey, Steve. Mm-hmm. Hey, Steve. How many yeah. editors do we have on this movie? Uh, looks like three. It looks like three editors. What does that usually mean for a movie, Steve? It usually means that it's not going to be a good movie. It usually also means that the movie had trouble. Yeah, that they kept bringing people in to try to fix it. Yeah, yeah. fix it. Or maybe Martin Scorsese was feeling a little... Oh, this was his sophomore movie, right? This was his second film? I think so. His second big budget his film? His second so maybe, big movie, yeah, after Mean Streets. Yeah, maybe he was feeling a little uh, unsure of himself. I mean, after Taxi Driver, there's a bit of a drought for him, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a little bit of a no one likes my movies anymore, snort cocaine, yay, I'm going to quit, that kind of thing. <laughs> so maybe they've had three editors because maybe it's a studio thing. Who knows? It's still a good movie. So our, our whole theory is wrong, right, Steve? We're just wrong. We're hacks. <laughs> well, I think that could be the case with any of our episodes. That's true. Production company, Bill Phillips Productions and Italo Judeo Productions. Distributed by Columbia Pictures. Release date, February 8th, 1976. Running time, 113 minutes. Budget, $1.9 million. Adjusted for inflation, $8.5 million. Hmm. Box office, $28.3 million. Or, adjusted for inflation, $127.3 million. Making it one of the biggest movies of the year, right, Steve? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's this was the seventies. The days when a movie like this could actually get people to go see it. They didn't give uh. a fuck if it was a date movie. They went to movies. <laughs> Hollywood's last golden age. This is not a date movie. This no. is not oh, a date movie. I mean, if you have a really cool date, it is. It's not a first date movie. That's oh, God, sure. no. I would, you wouldn't want to risk a first date on this, no. No, no. That's no. like the Apple Dumpling Gang or something, Something you know. <laughs> Some of that Don Knotts, Tim Conway shit. People love exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. If they laugh at that, you got a winner. You keep her. <laughs> but if she laughs her way through Taxi Driver, marry her. Right then and there. Marry her on the spot. Yeah, exactly. Stand up in the theater and say, is there anyone here who can perform a ceremony? <laughs> you thought it was funny? I thought it was funny, too! This woman laughed when all of his fingers got blown off. I must marry her now. <sighs> she was. She actually turned to me and tugged at my sleeve and was like, like lighting the match, like lighting the match. <laughs> and I kissed right, her and I knew we'd be together forever. All right, Steve, okay. come on. Let's yep. get in this hack. Okay, here we go. We're, we're going to drive around and talk to ourselves all night long. <laughs> Don't forget to wipe the cum and blood out of the back seat when we bring the when we bring the cab back in. It's very important. Thank God for vinyl upholstery. Thank God. Yeah, it's not. It's it's leather. This is the uh, 1970s. Well, whatever. The cabs were made to last, so they, that's cheap leather, granted, but I mean, <laughs> it, it soaks in. It gets in there. You really yeah, you need gotta, to get in there. You got to take care of it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just don't wipe it down with, like, a scrap of newspaper or something. <laughs> just kind of brush it. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, whatever. There yeah, we go. Just good. move it around. It's uh, not polished. Just kind of rub get it, it in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, like a salve. Just sort of, hey, it's good for it. I really <laughs> hope people watch this movie or they'll be like, where it's is this the coming leather. from? <laughs> we didn't. We did Yeah, it's from the movie, folks. We didn't invent. Yeah. There's like, an extended, for those people who didn't watch the movie, for, there's an extended 45-minute sequence of Robert De Niro just basically <laughs> with a squeegee, just squeegeeing out blood and semen from yeah, the back exactly. of a car. And just a single unbroken uncut shot. Yeah, and I don't since even you didn't know. watch the movie, Godzilla's there, too. Fuck yeah. it, why not? He's just leaning up against the wall, smoking a fucking cigarette. Well, because it's, it. it's Godzilla gets the next shift in that cab, so he's, like, sitting there impatiently <laughs> waiting, like, you know, come on, I, I gotta make some money here. 
It was the seven. It was the late seventies. They hadn't rebooted him yet. They didn't know where they were going. Yeah, I mean, he was, was between gigs. Exactly. His kid wouldn't talk to him anymore. He was. <laughs> he was in a. He was in a bad place. And his kid was smoking. Yeah. You know, <laughs> which? Well, who taught him that? Who ta- I learned it from watching you. <laughs> Steve, we're now talking about Godzilla. Like, we are. Can we please be serious? Yes, theater this is critics. A, it's one of the great American films. It yeah, deserves no. better than this from no, us. Don't. It doesn't. Nope, it does not. <laughs> All right, Steve. Yes. Come on, let's okay. go. Okay. All right, I'm starting. I'm, I'm, I'm starting the thing. The thing that you push down. The, the what do you call it? The fair top. The, the fair meter. Box. The meter. The meter. Yeah, I'm starting the meter. Thank God he's here for my backup brain. And we're <laughs> going to drive into the steaming underbelly of 1976's New York Taxi Driver. Steve. Yes. Take it away. Well, we are just. Appropriately enough, uh, given what you just said, our first shot is of a taxi cab emerging from the fog like a sea monster. Yep, to <laughs> ominous music. To ominous music, yeah. And then we cut to shots of, of Travis Bickle's eyes looking around. Yes. And um, there's a part of you that kind of assumes he's driving a cab, but he's not. Right, not yet, yeah. Because, and then from out of the yeah. steam on the streets... We dissolve cut to steam as he walks into a into a taxi cab guy's office, right? Yeah, he wants to drive a cab. He wants to dri- he wants to work long hours, and he'll go any he'll drive anytime, anywhere. Why does he want to drive long hours, Steve? Does he say? Yeah, I don't. Does he say? Yeah, thanks for paying attention. I, I, anyway, I was... we're doing a movie review, so I'll do <laughs> Sorry, it. Sorry, I was playing he solitaire can't... while this was on. <laughs> he was. He was. He can't sleep. He can't. Oh sleep. yeah, 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 yeah. He can't sleep, and the guy's like, "So go to a porno theater and jerk off until you fall asleep." And he's like, "I tried that. It doesn't work." <laughs> and he's like, "So you just want to drive all night long?" And he's like, "Yeah." And he's like, "Okay." And we also he also tells him that he was in the Marines, right? That he's twenty six years old. That um, his favorite color is blue. <laughs> that on Friday nights he likes to pour bourbon on bread with some milk and <laughs> eat it while watching television. That is in the movie. That you is don't not have a to joke tell I me all that. No, and, that's yeah. That's that is apparently his his breakfast of choice. He likes walking around, making up little monologues in his head while drinking from a hip flask. Yep. Yep. He has a full, rich, rewarding life. (laughs) And uh, so the guy's like, okay, come back the next day and you can start uh, driving. And he's like, yay! It's just that easy! Travis comes back and he's now a taxi driver and he starts and I think he starts his diary when he starts driving that cab. Yeah, that's because when we get the narration. We hear him writing in his diary, right? Yeah. And boy, he he has some complaints, don't he, Steve? <laughs> he does. He does. He doesn't have the most positive opinion of New York City that you could have. He, uh, Why? It seems like a wonderful place. He uh, he talks about how uh, how He's it was dirty. it was nice that there was some rain to wash the garbage off the streets and yeah. maybe and by hope- garbage he means people. Yeah, oh, yeah, he's, hopefully someday there'll be a real rain to wash yeah. all the scum away. It's like, a oh, rain of bullets or something, I don't know. Yeah, he seems like a nice man. Nice mm-hmm. just a nice pleasant young man. And he says he doesn't discriminate against uh, discriminate against his passengers. And we right. just kind of see him driving around, right? Yeah. And there's some old guy trying to fuck a lady in his back seat, and there's it's not it's you feel dirty. Yeah. You feel dirty watching it. Not like you feel like you're a dirty old man watching porno. You just feel grimy, like you need yeah. to take a shower. Yeah. Like you're like I've been digging a sewer line all day. <laughs> I need to get clean, but I know I never right. can get clean. It's actually it's a little worse than that. It's like you hit a sewer line while <laughs> digging in the ground. 
ground while a guy jerks off on you from standing above you. <laughs> and you're like, why? That's is this- what it feels like. And you're why like, is why? this happening? <laughs> why would this ever happen? <laughs> Nothing in my life to this point has prepared me for this being a possibility ever. So after these long monologues uh, and uh, he gets off work one morning after driving for like 12 hours and he starts drinking immediately <laughs> and, and then he goes to a porno film where he tries to hit on the concession lady right and she could not be bothered right She's no like, no and he wants a coke and they only have royal crown cola and he is right? understandably disappointed now i'm going to i'm going to say this who in the fuck sells concessions at a porno theater, Steve? It's a classy New York porno theater. No, no. You're going in there for one reason, and it's not to eat a Clark bar and have some popcorn and a soda. <laughs> you know what I thought, actually? I thought, God damn, is he, he must be the first person to ever buy one of those popcorns. Yeah. Those uh-huh. popcorns have been sitting there for years. That popcorn has <laughs> dust and dead moths on top of it. <laughs> like, no, you're not, that's just for looks. Nobody's going to buy that popcorn. <laughs> So he's just, he, yeah, he's not, yeah. the lady rejects him, and so he just just sits in the porno theater all morning, Yeah. and he complains about he can't sleep, and even after he works all night, and he wants to become, like, more normal. Right. He wants to become, like, he wants, he wants, he wants to have some place to go to and fit in with other people, and I'm like, right. a loony bin! You <laughs> need to go to a loony bin! You need to find people like you, Travis. That's right, you <laughs> need to find your own people, and they're all in the loony bin. <laughs> but then he goes to this this uh, diner where all the cabbies hang out, right? Yeah, right. It's an all-night diner. And it's nighttime. And he comes in, and he's kind of very uncomfortable around Charlie T, who is a black cab driver. Yeah. And um, But they're all sitting around telling hilarious stories, right, Steve? Oh, boy, yeah. Just well, li- Wizard is. Yeah. Wizard, who's played by... What's, what fun story oh. does he tell that's totally believable? That's completely true, I'm sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, he tells this, this delightful story of how he was driving this lady in his cab, and she was changing her pantyhose in the car and he he sneaks a peek and she sees him looking and he pulls the cab over and jumps in the back seat and whips his dick out and she responds favorably to this and they have sex and yeah. he says I showed her the time of her life or something and yeah. and he said doesn't he say like she gave me the key to her place in Acapulco yeah. or something it's like right. yeah, yeah, I'm, sure, her, I'm sure that's literally what happened gave her his her telephone number in her, her yeah her phone number in Acapulco yeah so yeah, yeah. so good for so you totally wizard believable. yeah t- I'm um, sure that happened Peter Boyle kind of looks like if someone gave a human growth hormone to Danny DeVito <laughs> yes He's like if Danny DeVito grew to six foot seven <laughs> Same haircut. But had the same right? look. Yeah, exactly. Right, exactly. exactly. One day, <laughs> while driving his cab, Travis sees a beautiful blonde woman in a dress, right, Steve? Yes, he Who's does. That? that is Betsy, played by Sybil Shepherd. That's right. And what does he say about Betsy? They can't... <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. Uh, touch, touch her. her. <laughs> yeah. Because he, he is, he's writing this in his diary. Yeah, he likes her. He likes her. Yeah. He likes her, and um, she. He thinks that she stands out from the rest of the people in the crowd because the city's all dirty. But she's like pure something, right, Steve? Yeah, it can't just be that he thinks she's hot. She's yeah. She's yeah. this. She's different from the rest. Yeah, that's right. This is called a obsessive fixation. Yes. Anyway, yes, Betsy it is. works. 
at the Palpatine presidential campaign headquarters in New York. Yeah, right. Exa- she's a yeah, exactly. So she wants President Palpatine, <laughs> Se- and- Se- Senator Palpatine, who is soon going to declare himself <laughs> emperor. He. He, uh, she works in, like in this office place, the campaign office. Yeah, and she works with a guy named Tom, and Tom is like, uh, I think, in love with her. Yeah, a little bit. And who wouldn't be, Steve? Who? Well, of who course. Wouldn't? Yeah, she's funny. You know, she's got that super skinny. I'm on coke. You know. <laughs> <laughs> look that was so popular in the 1970s. Yeah. Long blonde hair, rail thin, you, you know, a stiff, a light breeze could knock her over or pick her, lift her right up into the sky. Right, Steve? That's absolutely. And she's she's politically engaged. That's right. She's not just some yeah. airhead floating through life, not caring what goes on in the world. She's politically engaged. Yeah. yeah. And Travis sits in his cab and watches her while masturbating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She, he literally parks his cab like in front of the Right the, in the front, front of the door. And just sits there until they notice him yeah. and and well she's uh, like Tom do you see that guy outside away. and yeah. he's like what guy that cabbie right there i don't see a cabbie <laughs> that and guy. then they do the reverse shot and he's like literally like the cab he's is pulled like, right up to the door he's like parked on the sidewalk he's like right there and tom's like does he bother you and she's like yeah and he says i'll take care of it and he goes and he starts walking to the door and uh and travis speeds off yeah right? yeah but eventually Travis finally gathers enough courage to try to ask Betsy out, right? Yeah, that's right. Puts on his nice uh, his nice clothes, his jacket. His nice velour jacket. Yeah, buddy. Red. Yeah, and he walks into the campaign headquarters, and Tom's like, oh, you want to volunteer? Oh, sure. And he's like, not you! <laughs> Leave me alone! I just want the pretty goddess! <laughs> And it's clear that he doesn't know anything about Senator Palpatine or what he's running on. He just wants to ask her out. Right, right? exactly. And she's like, oh, well, I guess I, 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 I like you. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to a date at a diner, right? Let's yeah. go, let's go. And they, they go to a diner, and that's where he eats his apple, his, his cereal killer pie. Yeah. And she has a bowl of fruit, and then they talk about garbage. Yeah, he tells her that he doesn't think that, he, t- he talks about the man she works with, meaning Tom, and he gives her this yeah. whole big long talk about how he can tell that her and Tom have no connection and, uh-huh. and, you know, she doesn't like the people she works with, but he could sense it's as soon as he this, walked in Steve. that they if have I a was connection. Your boyfriend, I would treat you like, right? And he's a nice guy. He's yeah, ex- nice guy. exactly, exactly. He's a nice guy, guys. Exactly. He gives her this line of, like, just, I mean, completely, mm. like, invented self-serving bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and she says she compares him to a Chris Christopherson song, which he has no uh, idea who that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like he's a philosopher poet or something. Yeah, like a, a walking contradiction, monk. yeah. Yeah, exactly. But she agrees to go to a movie with him. Mistake! No. Uh-oh. <laughs> so, guys, where do you think Travis takes her? Where do you think he takes her? Wait, where, where do you think? Oh, where do you th- Oh, no, wait. This is that, that, we, we, not yet. This is a little bit later, yeah. Okay, so then we cut to him driving in his cab, and guess who gets into his cab, Steve? It's, we don't know her name yet, but it turns out it's young Iris, no, Jodie Foster. No, first it's Senator Palpy. Oh, that's right, it's, it's, it's Palpy. Palpy gets in with his aides. Yeah. And he's like, take me to the fundraiser! Yeah. <laughs> 
We and must they crush the rebel scum. They make the mistake of asking Travis what he <laughs> thinks is important, and Travis is like, I think you should murder everybody in this town. <laughs> I think you should open up the sewers and just sluice in all the guts and everything. <laughs> Babies, women, everything. A fresh new start. Then just scrub it all clean, and then I'm the only one that lives in here. What do you think of that? It'd be great. Me and Betsy, and we just fuck everywhere. No one else can come into the city. It'd be fantastic, yeah, right, and- Emperor Palpatine? <laughs> and Palantine is like, well, that'll take a lot of work. (laughs) (laughs) I don't care, as long as it gets done. Okay, Travis. (laughs) All I need is for all of New Yorkers to line up in one line, and I need a gun with eight million bullets, and I just get rid of all of them. (laughs) What's so great about that is when he starts out, it sounds almost like something you would hear someone actually say. Like, he says it's vague enough that he's like, well, I think you should clean up the city, and that could mean anything. But then, Mm -hmm. like, by the end, he's like, I think you should just flush the whole thing down the fucking toilet <laughs> and you're like oh man you blew that one trav yeah. uh, and then then travis is sitting and, and a little tiny girl gets in mm-hmm. she goes hello mister will you please take me to the preschool <laughs> i'm trying to escape my pimp <laughs> he's not very nice to me and who is that steve that's jody foster iris Mm-hmm. And and the, and we soon enough also meet her pimp Harvey Keitel, also known as Sport or Matthew. Yep. He he pulls her out. We don't actually of, see him in this. Scene. Yeah, we don't see his face, but yeah, he he pulls her out of the cab, and she mm-hmm. clearly doesn't want to go with him. But he kind of jerks no, her out don't. of the cab, and yeah. then he tosses fifty bucks on the seat next to Travis and says, "Cabby, this is nothing. Forget about this." I think it's twenty bucks. I is don't it twenty? Okay, well, it's, it's yeah. twenty. Yeah, and he's like, "Forget you ever and saw." He just this. looks like, at it like like it's accusing him. Yeah, he's, I guess he wants to do something about it, but he does. Dirty money. Right. And he keeps that money separate for the rest of his money. That's right, right. He puts it in his pocket. He doesn't put it in the cigar box with the clean cabbie money. No. No. Then Travis takes Betsy to a porn movie. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Or as Betsy says, when she realizes this is where they're going, you have to be kidding. (laughs) No, he's not. He he takes her into the movie and she gets grossed out and she leaves, right? Yeah. like, what? And I'm like, what did you think was going to happen? He, he gives you- he gives her the best excuse I've ever heard. He says, first of all, he says, I didn't know you would feel this way. And then he says, there are other movies I can take you to. I don't know much about them. But, <laughs> but we can go to some of those if you want. <laughs> I literally only see porno movies. I don't That's even know. I, ab- I don't even know about other movies. Mm-hmm. But if you want to go, we can go. Yeah, it'd be great. They go. What's that? What else is out in 1976? Oh God! I think it's, it's probably they, it's probably too late for Jaws, right? Jaws was 75. Yeah, yeah, but they could go always see it. It's probably still in theaters. Yeah, go see it at the second run theater. You know. Yeah, he's like, well, if it had a name like Jaws. I thought it was going to be about something different. <laughs> what is that like? About a, blowjobs. You is know, it like a Jaws. sequel to Deep Throat or something? <laughs> what? But she she gets pissed off and she stops taking his calls. Yeah, yeah. And she returns the flowers that he sends her. Yeah, that's not good. And, and Travis accepts this and moves on with his life and uh, realizes that he overstepped his bounds. Yeah. Maybe you should examine the way he interacts with people. Exactly. Right, he, he takes it as a learning experience, and he, right. he swallows his heartache, and he grows, and he moves on. He doesn't become angry and then storms into the Palpatine office and, and uh, confronts Betsy in public in front of everybody, right? Actually, you know what? That's, right. that's exactly what he does. Uh, yeah. 
It's exactly what he does. And I believe he says, uh, quote, you're in a hell and now you can die in hell like the rest of them. <laughs> so, yeah. That, and then does yeah. he do like a, a half karate move on Tom? <laughs> yes. He, he like squares off on him and does like fucking like he's going to karate chop him. Uh-huh. Yes. Yes. Oh, it was but delightful. And then they throw him out yeah. because a cop is coming and now, oh boy, he's really, oh, he, oh. now we're back in his cab. Yeah. And he's got a guy in his cab. Uh-oh. And the guy says, pull over and... Uh, Oh, you do this scene. scene. Oh, it's not a very nice scene. Okay, so the guy is a little, you know, the guy is Martin Scorsese. Yeah, the, I don't, I don't think he knew that the that the film was going. I think they this is just by accident. Can I just say? I mean, it's he's playing he's playing just an absolutely loathsome character, and, and he's doing a great job. It's such a great job. It's such an amazing performance. Like usually, when a director who's not an actor like puts themselves in the movie, it's kind of like, oh, okay, you know. Yeah, you're like, Ugh. yeah, like when Quentin Tarantino casts himself, like he usually does okay, but like you can tell he's not an actor. He's just sort of yeah. putting himself. But Scorsese does so good in this scene. Oh and, yeah, and yeah, he's playing a guy. So that he's had he's had Travis pull over across the street from this apartment building, and he's like, look up, you know, look at the light in that second floor window, and he's like, you know who lives there? My wife lives there, but that's not my apartment. You know whose apartment Uh that is? You know who lives there? And then he says a racial slur. (laughs) He says a racial slur lives there. (laughs) That's right. And uh, and he's like, and I'm going to kill her. I'm going to shoot her in the head with a 44 Magnum. I stole it from Dirty Harry. He doesn't know he has it. He's he got enough know of them. He'll never know. He'll never miss it. <laughs> when, yeah. he t- when he goes to his teddy bear where he keeps it at night, it's going to be empty. Because I have it. Teddy, where's your gun? You betrayed me, Teddy. Somebody's robbed Teddy. Who disarmed you, Teddy? Tell me the truth. I'm going to hold your head under this water until you tell me. <laughs> he turns to the stuffed duck next to him. Quackers, give me your piece. <laughs> I'm going to get the truth out of Teddy if it's the last thing I do. Anyway, okay. so yeah. so that ta- happens. Then he talks about shooting her in the head, and then shooting her in the in the lady part. The lady parts. And then that scene. Ends. Yeah. <laughs> and we're back at the diner, and the cabbies are hanging out, and someone's telling a story about a little person, and yeah. about cops chasing people with only one leg. And Travis comes up and pays $5 back to some guy, and then Wizard is about, is leaving, but then Travis comes out and he tries to tell him something, that he's, he's got bad ideas in his head. Right. And, and he's like, listen, I, I, I'm going I'm going crazy, Wizard, please. <laughs> <laughs> right. And Wizard, Wizard talks to him, but I think Wizard thinks he's just having sort of regular, like, malaise or, like, dissatisfaction yeah, exactly. with his life. And he gives him some generic sort of advice, like, oh, you, you're a young guy, just go out and have fun and live and you know and he you know and also you become what you you do yeah you are your job yeah you become you are a taxi driver yeah that's what you are i've been doing this for 14 years i am now a taxi driver is because that is what i want to do right also i i kind of wish just offhand i kind of wish i could do it naked i haven't realized that part of it yet (laughs) until i said it out loud but now it makes perfect sense (laughs) one day me completely naked driving a cab broad daylight he's like what and he just he just turns around, kind of like you know, pat, pats the hood of his taxi. It's important to have dreams, Travis. And gets inside, just drives away. Gives you something to live for. Underwear flies out of the window as he's driving away. <laughs> oh, I'm not getting any younger. <laughs> so at this point, Travis. Um, Travis is going full blown with the cuckoo brains, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's uh, he 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 seems suddenly determined. 
to, mm-hmm. to do something. He uh, almost runs over a, a little baby in the street. <laughs> and it's the same little baby from before, right? Yeah. It's Iris. And then he follows yeah. her creepily until she picks up a couple of Johns. Or a couple of nice men that are going to take her to the toy store. Yeah, that's probably right? it. That's probably it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're just friends of hers. Uh-huh. And then Travis buys four guns from an underground gun, duck, gun dealer. Yeah, uh, who apparently is also a drug dealer and a car salesman. Yeah, and a car salesman. <laughs> hey, you want to buy a house? I could get you a house, $20,000. Hey, you want a bag full of fingers? I don't know where they came from, but I'll sell it to you. Sell it to you. How about Usually a- you don't... What? How about a Polynesian island? Hey, you want you one want of those? That? If it doesn't go to you, I'm going to be selling it to Marlon Brando in a second. He's really <laughs> hot for it. I can get you one. <laughs> anyway, he buys four guns, yeah. right? Yep. Of, of various shapes and sizes. Just a delightful variety of guns. But you know what? This is good for Travis because he's turning over a new leaf. Mm-hmm. He's, he's, he's picking himself up. <laughs> yeah? I can't do it. I can't. You can't. He's gone bananas, everybody. Yeah. Oh, he's yeah. Gone, he's gone um, crazy. He's focused. He's got alert. He's going to drink. He's going to drink more healthily. He's going to stop putting poison in his body. Yeah, going to work he's out. He's going to start working out. And um, he's doing, like, push-ups. Yeah, chin-ups. Yeah, chin-ups. You know, all those healthy things, holding your fist over an open flame. <laughs> yeah, you know, like you um, do when you're getting your life together. Like you do, yeah. right? I've done it many a time. Sure, I'm like, time to go to work. But first... <laughs> exactly. First, let me test my pain tolerance. Uh-huh. Do it every time, right before a family gathering. Uh, well, in that case... I What's mean, cooking I, I, in there? Nothing! <laughs> Do you want me to go or not? Just leave me alone. I just need five minutes, okay? And then I can do it. I can do whatever you want me to do. Yep. Travis starts to stalk uh, Palpy. Yeah. And uh, he goes to one of his rallies, and he watches him on television. And then he shows up at another rally, and then and he does something that you probably shouldn't do if you plan on, I don't know, attempting to kill the presidential uh-huh. candidate. And that is... Talking to the Secret Service yeah, agent. in the most suspicious way imaginable. Yeah, like, yeah. hey, so, you, I want to be... Well, actually, he tells him he wants to be a, social, a, secret, a service. secret service agent, yeah. And the guy's like, oh, cool. Well, that's exactly the kind of person we want. Spooky guys who show up at rallies <laughs> yeah, and start just, talking to us. Just random loners, yeah. Yeah, random spooky loners <laughs> wearing military jackets. That's exactly who we're looking for. That was exactly uh, like you. <laughs> have you taken a girl to a porno movie yet? You no, have. I didn't. Yeah, you're perfect. You're halfway there, buddy. You fit the profile exactly. <laughs> All throughout this, Travis's speech has become um, disjointed and uh, kind of repetitive. Yeah. Um, especially when he's all by himself in his garbage apartment. Yeah. I mean, he was never Dick Cavett in the conversation department to begin with. But mm-hmm. yeah, he's, you know, he's, yeah, exactly. He he's also like... made a zip gun. <gasps> yeah. He's, made a little, he's he's taken apart some things in his house. Yeah, he, he, like, cobbles it together from, like, the track on the side of one of his drawers. And right. I don't it's know what all else. Yeah. Attached to your forearm, and when you whip it out, it, it puts a gun right into your hand, right? Yeah. You need, well, you like, need one of those. I'm a G. At least he has a hobby. Yeah. You know? It's good that he finally found something to do with his free time. I kind of wanted him to make so many of them that when he jerks, uh, there's guns pop out every everywhere on his body. <laughs> One comes out of his the bottom of his fucking pants leg, pulls the trigger with his toes. Out of his zipper, out of the back of his pants. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Like a low-tech um, inspector gadget. <laughs> and this is when we get the scene, Steve. The scene. Yeah, oh, that's Please right. Please recreate the, famous... the scene for everyone. Oh, of course. Well, he's he's uh, he's uh, he. We've seen him before, where he practices things in front of the mirror, like he's pulling practicing guns. pulling his guns. Yeah, and he's just finished his his little arm gimmick, where it'll shoot the gun into his into his hand, and he starts like playing an imaginary scene in front of the mirror, where right. apparently he's you know he's being he's like he's imagining like a confrontation with someone, and he's like you know, uh, are you talking to me? Right. He looks looks all around. You know, are you talking to me? Right. I'm the only one here. You must be talking to me. Like you know, he jerks the gun. He's like, yeah. aha! You know, he's just having a little having a little imagination time. He's having a little imagination game where he's yeah. pulling guns on people who probably said something yeah. like, uh, "Excuse me, sir, can you reach that top shelf for the bananas? I'm old and seventy four. <laughs> you uh, talking to me? <laughs> yes, I was. I, I can't reach all the way up there. I don't know why they put them up so high. I'm only. I have scoliosis. My back has been please. You want you want me to get your bananas for you? Yes, please. Okay, I'll get your bananas. <laughs> Didn't see that coming, did you? Finally. <laughs> Sweet release. You know, creative play is very important for emotional health. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he continues to stalk Palpy, and then he writes a letter to his mom and dad that is just nothing but lies, just one lie after another. Dear mom I can't. and dad, I am working as a secret. I'm, I'm working for the government, and I can't tell you where I work. And I'm dating this lovely girl named Betsy, who said just yesterday, I'm committed to you and only to you, and I will kill people with you, and we'll kill everyone in the city. (laughs) (laughs) And maybe then have sex on top of the corpses. And then a magical rain will come and wash all the corpses into the ocean, where it will poison the ocean and kill the fish, because I hate the fish, Mom and Dad. You know how much I hate the fish. And then, with the fish poisoned, the earth will die, except for New York and me and Betsy. Anyway, love your bunches. Mwah, mwah. Love your you son, hear, Travis. There's like an awkward pause, and then you hear the sound of a pencil eraser just going nuts. <laughs> uh. Travis then starts searching for Iris. Right? Yes, yes. And um, he sees, he finally finds her, and he's like, hey... I want I want to spend some time. I need to talk to you. And she's like, "Go talk to that guy over there." And he goes over, and it's Harvey Harvey Keitel, who's wearing yeah. a wife beater, a pair of slacks, um, a, <laughs> a fedora. Yeah, hmm. he's got long hair, and he's he's her pimp. And he's like, "Hey, so you want to spend time with her? Look, it's fifteen. What is it? Fifteen dollars for fifteen minutes? Fifteen dollars for fifteen minutes. Twenty five dollars for what half a hour bargain. Yeah. What a bargain." <laughs> But if you weren't sold by that, he's like, she's 12 and a half years old. You can do every hole on her body and come all over her. And you can humiliate her and all this stuff. Just no rough stuff. But yeah, you can like put <laughs> it in no her nose stuff. and <laughs> shit on her face, whatever you want. Just don't hit her. Just don't just don't mark her up. Right. And so Travis, Travis goes and she, they go up into her, her, they pass by the bodyguard guy, or the guard guy, bouncer yeah. guy, whatever. They go in his room and she's like, okay, Misto, I want to, oh, I can't do this joke here because it's bad, Steve. <laughs> it's not good. It's no. bad. It's not good. She, she keeps, thinks that she thinks that he's there to fuck her, and she keeps trying to initiate that, and he yeah. keeps having to like you know like back her off and be like, no, I'm not here for 
you've ever wanted to feel uncomfortable knowing that a 14-year-old is starting to take off someone's pants for a blowjob, then, you, you know, yeah, this is, that scene's in here. That Boy, we got here. a movie for you. Yeah. Yeah, ignoring yeah. the fact that this is supposed to be a, someone who's 12 and a half years old. Yeah. But um, he's like, oh, no, I don't want to have sex with you. I want to get, I want to save you. I want to get you away from all this. Don't you want to get away from all this? She's like, no, I can't. And he's like, no, come on. And then she agrees to have coffee with him, right? Yeah, breakfast, yeah. A breakfast. Yeah. And so the next day they go to a diner and they have breakfast, right? <laughs> and yeah, he, he keeps trying to talk her out of, you know, trying to talk her into leaving. Right. And, she, and, and what's and her big he... dream? <laughs> <laughs> um, I can't remember what is her big dream. She wants to move into a commune. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, and she says, uh, she says maybe you could come with me. And I don't. He, <laughs> he like, gives <laughs> another <laughs> another one of his weird I'll answers. <laughs> I don't. I don't get along with people like I don't, that. Yeah, I hate everyone. I barely uh, tolerate you right now. <laughs> Because he says he has more important plans. He's got to kill the the presidential candidate because that's yeah. what he's planning on doing, right? I'm going to commit an assassination in a few days. Right. So, yeah. And then we cut to a scene that we didn't need to see. We didn't need to see this scene, did we, Steve? <laughs> is this the scene with Iris? And, yeah, it's the uh, scene with Iris together. Sport, yeah, where Sport is like Iris is like, I don't like what I do, and Sport's like, You're my lovely lady, and she's like, You don't spend time with me, and he's like, I know, I've been busy fucking other girls. I mean, I've been busy, and you. <laughs> I'm a pimp. I got shit to do, Iris. And then 26-year-old Tarby Cartel kisses 14-year-old Iris. Yeah. Joey yeah. Foster on the mouth, and I throw up and fall on the floor and wonder why I decided that being a movie critic would be a good thing. <laughs> why am I exposing myself to this? What's the artistic purpose for this, Scorsese? What? <laughs> So now we get to the main event. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> oh, yeah. <sighs> so Travis is getting ready to go make him some history, right, Steve? That's right. He's doing his, his Rambo scene before Rambo did it. That's He's like right. putting his Just guns like with, together. Yeah, putting his guns yeah. together, burning the flowers that he sent. Burn yeah, sent, yeah. Sent Betsy, just like Rambo did. And yeah, Rambo <laughs> burned all those, all those rejected flowers. Everybody yeah, remembers yeah, that scene. Yeah. And, um... Yeah. He writes he a note his, to Iris. He give, gives himself a little bit of a haircut, too. Dear he? Iris, I hope you can take a cock out of your mouth long enough to take this $500 <laughs> and go go to your Vermont place. Um, Please excuse my this, sarcastic tone. Yeah, I'll probably be dead or something. Anyway, bye. And then he goes to a Palpatine rally. Yep. And uh, he spiffed himself up a little bit before going, right, Steve? Yeah, he gave himself a little haircut. You Just know. a little bit. Yeah. I mean, he took well, a little he, too much off the sides. I think so, yeah. Well, it's top. one of those deals where like he, he, he kept he kept making it too short and too short, and eventually he just he got all the way up to the top. And, and he has a mohawk now. Yeah. Now, according to what I've read, the guy who plays the Secret Service agent was also someone who served in Vietnam, and he said special forces, when they were getting ready to do an op specifically to kill someone, one that they would shave their heads into into mohawks before going. Yeah, I heard. The, yeah, it was. Yeah, the guy who played the Secret Service agent. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. now he's got a mohawk and he's like, "Oh boy, it's time to do it." And then he does what uh, you should not do when you're getting planned planned to shoot somebody, and that's walk up to a presidential candidate with your hand in your coat, like you're like you have your hand on a gun, right, Steve? Yeah, he he does. Yeah. So basically, he botches the hit. Yeah. <laughs> his yeah. his big plan is to just walk right up to him, right. pull his gun in full view of everybody and shoot him and of course the secret service spot him like fucking 10 feet away and yeah. they're like hey that guy 
And, and of he course, has to he run. gets away. He runs yeah. away and he gets away from him, right? Yeah. He sprints down the street. So he's like, fuck. Well, what am I going to do now? I have all these guns on me. <laughs> Gotta kill somebody. I don't know. Maybe I should Jeez. kill Wizard. Nah. He's <laughs> he was so nice. happy sitting there naked in his cab. <laughs> naked in his cab. Hey, killer. It's me. I'm living the dream. I'm Check living the dream. <laughs> hey, it's the lady in the back that I told you lives in Acapulco. <laughs> <laughs> everything's what is he just, coming up wizard it's coming up wizard <laughs> so instead he goes he goes he goes and he finds sport and he's like yeah. hey sport and he's like hey you want iris again oh there's so many more holes you can fuck and he's like no i want to show you my gun <laughs> and then he shoots him in the stomach yeah and then he goes into the building where Iris, Iris just went up with some guy. Right. And um, he gets in the hallway and the body, the bodyguard, the bouncer goes, hey, how many fingers do I have on your hand? I have five. <laughs> and then he shoots and he goes, no, now I have two and a half, I think. <laughs> I have two. <laughs> yep. And then he shoots, he shoots him, he shoots him, and then he's going up the stairs, and the guy who's uh, with Iris, he's coming out, and then Travis gets shot in the neck, and, because the guy that he shot his fingers off of is still alive, and saying, yeah. I'm gonna kill you, I'm, I'm gonna, gonna kill, kill you! Yeah. And and Sport is still alive, too, Sport comes in oh, and yeah, shooting Sport's at Oh yeah, Sport's the one that shot him in the neck, that's right, Sport's, yeah. Sport shoots him in the neck while he's in the hallway, and then he goes back and he shoots Sport like 15 times. Yeah, boy. And then he kills the shit out of sport. Yeah, and then when he's going up the stairs, the guy who he shot the fingers off of says, I'm going to kill you, and then he shoots him again, and then the guy who is in the room with Iris comes out and shoots Travis in the shoulder, and he goes, oh, yeah, well, here's some bullets for you, and he shoots him like 15 <laughs> times, and, yeah. then, and then the guy who has no fingers and can't die, apparently, tackles him and throws yeah. him in his room, and then Travis takes a knife out and stabs it through his hand, and at this point, 1976 audiences have literally started retching directly into <laughs> the goddamn aisle <laughs> throwing up on the person in the seat in front of them right Meanwhile, oh, Iris is screaming, and so he, she tussles with the guy, and then she screams, don't kill him, and he shoots the guy in the head, and then he tries to shoot himself in the head with, but he's out of bullets and all of his guns. Yeah. So he like, he's like, I'm going to chill out on the couch for a little bit. <laughs> and he lays down, and what the, a cops, day. the cops show up, and he's like, I, and then he puts his fingers to his head, and he makes pretend like it's a gun, and I don't know if he, I don't know if he knows that that doesn't work that way. <laughs> yeah. He's he's in a very a very fragile emotional state at this and, point. And all of a sudden, it turns into a, 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 a it turns into a tableau. Yeah, we get a, this beautiful and horrifying because it's so violent, like yeah. this overhead tracking shot out of the room into the hallway. It's yeah, where everybody's kind of frozen in time, standing there. Yeah, and out onto yeah. the street, and there's cops, and everyone's talking. And- Finally, we see some ambulance guys mm-hmm. running up, and we're like, oh, well, that was an interesting ending to the movie, but uh-oh! It's not over yet! Cut to a wall, and on that wall are, are newspaper articles saying that Travis Bickle is a hero because he killed the mafia guy and he saved a girl, right? Yeah, exactly. And there's an old there's an old voice, voiceover, going, Dear Mr. Bickle, thank <laughs> you so much for saving our daughter. Just when my <laughs> (laughs) wife and I had adjusted to her absence and was enjoying the solitude of not having children you motherfucker had to find her and send her home 
Now it's all the time with the stealing and the blowing boys for candy money. And I've spent so much of my money on bail to get her out. Why did you send this succubus back to us, Mr. Biggle? Satan himself must have sent you. What did we do? When do we get our life? That's what I want to know. Anyway, thanks a lot. Bye-bye. And we see that there's news articles, and we find out that he was in the coma. Yeah, yeah. And then he got out of his coma. And yep. now he's hanging out with the, the the taxi driver guys. Yep. Oh, that's our Travis. Out of the hospital and right back to he work. He seems more relaxed, kind of yeah. joking around with them. Yeah. And then someone says, someone got in your cab. And he's like, oh, okay. And he gets in his cab, and he, and he looks in the mirror. And who is it, Steve? <gasps> it's Betsy. Are you sure it's not the Acapulco woman? It, maybe Betsy is the Acapulco woman. Oh, hey, there we yeah, go. We didn't think about that. That could anyway, be a twist. they're driving, and she's like, do I know you? And she's like, oh, it's a porno guy. Oh, hi. Porno karate guy yelling at everybody and saying that I'm going to die like the rest of them. How's that going for you? <laughs> How have you been? And he's like, yeah, good. And he drops her off and he doesn't charge her for the for the taxi, right? Right. And he drives off and he looks in the rear view mirror to see if she's there. And then we cut back to scenes of the cabs and stuff, right? Yeah. The end? The end. Yay! Movie over. There's nothing in here to comment about, really. <laughs> no. It's such a simple, you know, movie. Not not very complex. A baby could get it. Anyway, yeah, really. so... Pretty much, yeah. Steve? Yes? Tell us what you feel about this gritty, and boy, oh boy, you have to work hard to out-gritty this fucking oh, movie. Oh, my God. For sure. The ultra-gritty, it's like 160-grit sandpaper. <laughs> Taxi driver. Um, I feel like my any review of this movie, you have to start with Travis Bickle because the 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 character is the movie and the movie is the character, right? Um, and I just relate to him so much. Okay, we're uh, show, no, this I'm, show is I, done, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs> I'm just playing. Uh, no, but for so, late seating, this is Jason Harding, yeah. and that's it. That's it. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye forever. <laughs> Never contact me again. Um. <laughs> Uh, no, so here's the thing. Travis Bickle is, he is a character for the most part without a past. We get little hints of, you know, he was in the Marines and yep. we know that his parents are alive, et cetera, et cetera. But he's for the most part a character without a past. He steps out of the fog in the beginning of the movie and he's just there. Um, it reminds me a little bit of the, of how they depicted the Joker in The Dark Knight. Just this this inexplicable person. You have no mm-hmm. idea where he comes from, where he could have come from. Yeah. But the he's difference just is there. the Joker's plans actually, you know, oh, he worked. Yes. He worked. <laughs> there is there is a level of competence to the Joker that Travis <laughs> that eludes poor Travis. But um, we so and we it's the, we hear him narrating his thoughts as he writes them in his journal. But apart from that he doesn't seem to have any inner life at all like he he doesn't seem to have any hobbies apart from when he's planning for his violent outburst he doesn't seem to have any passions any interests he doesn't know about movies other than porno movies he doesn't know about music he doesn't know about politics he doesn't read he doesn't read he just you know his solution to insomnia is i just want to work i just want to drive a cab all day and all night um and and while he's driving that cab and not sleeping all he does is ruminate about what a cesspool the city is mm-hmm. um as you mentioned a second ago he is not a competent man he's a fuck up 
Yep. He makes these grandiose plans, which he lacks the skill to carry out, even under the best circumstances. And then he makes them more difficult than they need to be through his arrogance and lack of self-restraint. Like when he chats up that Secret Service agent for no reason at all. His inability to um, empathize with people. Yeah, he, his which which and, and his just his his disconnect with he. It's difficult for him to even communicate with people. Like there's there's this one of the early scenes, the first scene that he has with the the other cabbies, where one of the other cabbies just says to him hey how's it hanging and he looks at the guy like he like he's never heard that phrase before he's like completely blank he's like what did you say like he just he seems completely separate from the rest of humanity he just seems like where where did this guy come from um and so and going back to the incompetence like his that final act of violence where he kills sport and the mafia guy and and like that's his plan b he only does that because he screwed up the assassination attempt Mm -hmm. um in addition to that he's a hypocrite we hear him constantly pass judgment on the scum of the city but but we see that he's really no better. Right. Uh, he look he looks down on drug users, but he's constantly popping pills. Even mm-hmm. after he declares no more pills, we see him still taking pills. Yeah, he's still um, taking pills. Yeah, he tells us through his narration that he doesn't believe that people should devote their lives to morbid self attention, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that is that's the very thing around which his life uh, revolves. Right. So so we 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 get to know him. Like we, I feel like we see the real him throughout the movie. We we know all of these things about him and um so that all of that makes the ending where he is viewed as this hero for perpetrating this massacre bitterly ironic because this this troubled broken ill-intentioned man that we know him to be becomes a hero because the people he murders are bad people he murders pimps he murders mafioso he he kills people that then enables this 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 exploited young girl to leave right um but that only happened and he only murdered those people because he botched his first plan to assassinate a presidential candidate and he only survived to receive the appreciation for his heroism because he ran out of bullets and was unable to commit suicide so he botched that too right so the the irony of the end and we the irony of the ending is reinforced by those last glimpses that we get of him because you're right after the uh when we get into the epilogue after he's awoken from his coma and he's back at work he does seem more relaxed he does seem looser he seems as though he's purged something from himself like somehow mm-hmm. getting all that out of his system and surviving has allowed him to relax and to move on um, but then he leaves Betsy at the curb and we see him driving away and he catches he looks in the rearview mirror and he catches a glimpse of something and we're not exactly sure what he's seeing maybe he's looking at Betsy maybe he's he sees something behind him on the street maybe he sees us maybe he's looking at the camera mm-hmm. whatever it is he sees something it really catches his attention and he gives like a really hard like double take look into the mirror and then and then we leave him and that's that's the last we see of him uh and Did that you notice to, the cut in there well there's, isn't a, there, there's a sound effect and a quick cut there's a cut it's yeah. a, like a yip, and it's really fast and it's really kind of jarring like something has just snapped back into place yeah yeah and yeah, then he, the movie's over and that to me yeah and that to me suggests that that the cycle he has just lived through is likely to start again and whatever redemption he has gained, and I mm-hmm. think it's it's illusory redemption because as I just went through, like he the, the, all that stuff happened because he fucked up other stuff, and he's not yeah. a hero. He just happened to kill the right people in the minds of the people who think he's a hero, and all of that all of that is about to be short lived. That yeah. that redemption is, is about to go away because he actually hasn't 
broken the cycle and redeemed himself. It's all about to start again. So Bickle is a ticking time bomb from the moment we see him. And one of the things that makes the movie so gripping is that Scorsese is able to follow De Niro's lead with that. De Niro plays Mm -hmm. Bickle in this way, and Scorsese is able through throughout the film to create this sense of dread and doom that mm-hmm. pervades every moment of the film and when so that when the violence does erupt which it only happens in, in bursts it's not a violent film for most of the running time there's just these right. bursts of violence and when that happens yes it's shocking in its brutality and, and how gory it is but it also feels inevitable we expect it because the film keeps ratcheting up the tension we know this guy is just a spring ready to snap at any moment and and Bernard Herman's score underlines this as well because it keeps fading from like this jazzy sort of New York theme into those dark ominous chords like let mm-hmm. us know like something bad is coming something yeah. bad is coming and uh, so yeah I mean and De Niro's performance is obviously the whole show here and, and carries the movie but there is another performance that I think deserves to be mentioned and that is Sybil Shepard's performance oh yeah she's um, great she's so good and her character because see her character in her own way is just as inexplicable as Bickle mm-hmm why is she drawn to this obviously creepy guy? Why does she agree to have coffee with him? Why does she agree to go out on a date with him? Um, There are mysteries to this character that, to me, may not possibly have satisfying solutions. There may not Mm -hmm. be a good reason for her to do any of those things. And to her great credit as an actor, Shepard doesn't even attempt to provide those solutions in her performance. She plays Betsy as a mystery, as inaccessible. She's always looking at people with this calm, inscrutable gaze she her, the delivery of most of her dialogue is very calm and non-committal um, and it's really the only way that that character and and the choices that she makes especially relative to Travis m- could possibly seem plausible and 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 Shepard finds it in that performance I think it's a really it's an underappreciated element of this movie because everybody talks about how great De Niro is and obviously he's fantastic um, but but she finds a way to play this character in a way that actually makes sense um, and it did not have to be that way. So overall, it, it's it's a riveting film. Um, I've seen it a bunch of times. It retains its power every time I watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I notice new things about it every time. It's one of the high points of Scorsese's career, uh, which is full of high points. It's it's a career-defining work for Paul Schrader, who... He's not who, as masterful in this movie, though. Uh, not as he smooth. Really- Technical on it, just on the technical yeah. aspects of it. There's a lot of really rough shots in this. Yeah, it's but, it's a lot. Yeah, it, there's a, it feels a little gorilla sometimes. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, yeah, I think yeah, stylistically, obviously, when he got to Raging Bull and Goodfellas, like it's a much smoother style. But still, I mean, I think overall, it's I, would, I still it has to count as, as one of his great. Raging films. Bull is a much um, more confident movie. Oh, for which sure. Is strange for sure. considering where he was in his life at that time. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, absolutely. And he tra- and he tries a lot more things stylistically in Raging Bull than he does here. Oh yeah, um, take, takes a lot more chances. But um, and I was going to say, and and for Paul Schrader, it's it's one of the defining works for him as well. He would mm-hmm. continue to explore these same sort of disaffected, morally compromised characters in his work, both as a writer and director. After this, and obviously, it's it's one of De Niro's best performances in a very long career, full of outstanding performances. So yeah, I I, mm-hmm. I think I liked I liked the movie. I would say. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's a, a, a terrific, terrific movie. Absolutely a classic. I love this movie. I think everyone should live their lives based on its values. No, I don't know. Don't. <laughs> He's a I, role model. 
I look at this movie and it is about two things specifically. Impotent masculinity mm. and self-delusion. Those are the two overriding things, not just with the Travis Bickle character, but with most of the characters in this film. Now, there is a common interpretation of the last part of this movie in which it is a fantasy. This is Travis, the lending part after he gets shot, everything with him being hailed as a hero and all that other stuff, that that is a fantasy ending and that he's de- or he's dead. Right. And that's just tacked on. My view of this movie takes it one step uh, further. My view of this movie is is that since we are experiencing this whole movie through Travis Bickle's lens, that a lot of this movie never happened. <laughs> a lot of this movie never happened. So let's just go to the ending, okay? Yeah. In the ending, he goes in and he has a shootout. He gets shot in the neck, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, when we see him at the end, he doesn't have a single scar on, on him. Not, not He has no impairments, nothing. He gets yeah. shot in the neck and he gets shot in the arm. But, you know, we're supposed to assume six months later he's perfectly fine. Oh, and yeah. he never went to trial for what he did. And he never Apparently even got not. tried for manslaughter either. Yeah. He gets a nice letter from from the, the from Iris's parents, right? <laughs> yep, that's it. The majority of this film is told from the perspective of a person who is very dissatisfied, it seems, with his own life, but also builds up a level of self-delusion about himself, about everything. Once I started viewing this through the lens of that didn't probably didn't happen. Here is what if I look at it this way, what actually probably happened was he did become a taxi cab driver. He did try to ask this woman out on a date. They went to a porno and he probably did have a very young girl get into his cab once and he felt like he should have done something and didn't. Everything after that point about Iris never happens. It is a fantasy concocted by him about how he can do things. Why is it that, I mean, I think he actually did think about, I'm going to kill the the senator, but he makes the attempt and he fails at it and we immediately go into him saving Iris and everything's great. I don't think he ever had a shootout with anybody. I definitely don't think he got shot in the fucking neck. (laughs) And live to kill th- two more guys, three more guys. No, yeah, because after he gets shot, shot in the neck, he then kills the other guys. He's only yeah. shot them up until this point, yeah. right? Yeah. This is a person who is an insomniac, who pops pills, who has no life. He eats weird food. He's a loner. <laughs> he scribbles in a diary. He is a, uh, a a sociopath, but he is feeling like he needs to do something. He's constantly complaining about how you know all the filth on the streets needs to be swept away. That all of this stuff needs to be all this stuff needs to be taken care of. And he's always setting himself apart. He is he is a fantasist of his own life, right? Because he didn't do anything. This is the reason why we never see Harvey Keitel the, when when the first time he meets Iris. We never see Harvey Keitel. We see an arm throw money at him through a right. cab window, right? Later, when he has to concoct this pimp, he creates a ridiculous caricature. <laughs> Of this long-haired, hatted guy who is the worst possible person ever so that it's easy for him in his fantasy to shoot him. The final scene with Sybil Shepard. We don't see her get in the cab. Right, she's just we there. Never, we know that she's sitting in the back, but we only see her through the rearview mirror, right? She gets out and everything seems fine between the two of them. He's good and he's going to drive off. And then he immediately looks into the rearview mirror because I think she was never in the fucking cab. He's looking to see if she's there there the beginning of this movie is the end of the movie you could play this in a loop oh yeah the end of the movie transitions directly into the beginning which means that this is a cycle for him but i think this is a cycle of self-delusion on his part i don't think he's i don't think he's killed anybody he's just a big bag of dissatisfied anger 
and we see we see this self delusion and this idea that he's going to play himself up because when you whenever we go to the cabbies, what are the cabbies doing, Steve? Oh, they're telling they're telling bullshit stories about bullshit what they just stories did. about yeah. fucking women, meeting yeah. people, all this other stuff. That is all. That is what he keeps running into with them. All the cabbies are doing it. This is his, and he just doesn't talk about it out loud. He tries to talk about it with Wizard, and Wizard goes, "You're cabbie, get over it. Fuck you. You're, you're a good kid. <laughs> right. Don't worry about it. You'll be fine." <laughs> so when people get all upset, they're like, "The people still want to believe that he actually killed three people and then got shot and died. That they're okay with that one." I'm saying that shit didn't happen. That shit did not happen. <laughs> the whole Iris thing is a fantasy. Oh. What I would do if I could do it, but he's so dumb and he doesn't know enough <laughs> that what he concocts is all of a sudden he's caring and he wants to help her out and he wants to save her and all this other stuff and he he won't let her have sex with him and all you know he's building himself up into something that he's not and we clearly see that he's not through the rest of the film. Do I think he bought guns? Yes, I think he bought guns. Do I think he stands in his room and says, I mean, this is a clear example. What does he do when he has the guns? He fantasy play acts yeah. a situation in the mirror. The, oh, are you talking to me? That scene is him play acting. Yeah. A response to somebody who, who he feels has slighted him, right? Yeah. I don't even know if he went back to Palpatine's office to confront anybody. He may not have. I don't think Travis Bickle has the ability to act. I think all of this is inside of his head we're in his head we listen to his thoughts the entire time i think some of the people in his i mean he the guy who's looking at his wife starts talking about a 44 magnum and what gun just happens to be up for sale (laughs) it's a 44 magnum it's a 44 magnum right i don't and once once i started thinking along those lines i was like he's probably never been in the army he just bought that code at a salvation army right he you know He's lying to his parents when he writes to them, right? Yeah. He's lying oh, yeah. to everybody. He's constantly building himself up to be something bigger and better than he is. So whenever he does something extraordinary in this movie or extraordinarily violent, people say people don't fantasize like that. Yes, they fucking do. You've been in traffic. You've had fantasies about what you'd do to a guy if you could get your hands on him. <laughs> everybody oh, yeah. has. All right? His is just more specific. So people might disagree with that interpretation, but here's the reason why I'm having it. I'm having it because I'm not making shit up that wasn't in the movie. I think it's a legitimate interpretation of what's going on in it. Doesn't doesn't mean that the movie it takes anything away from the movie. I, what I like about this is that people can have this argument. People can say, "Well, no, the ending didn't really end." Did not. My thing is most of this didn't happen because of the what I've picked up from the character that we're presented with. Right. Right. This is about a guy afraid to act and who's angry all the time. Not terribly smart. Pops pills. This is his fantasy world, and it's not great because he <laughs> doesn't have a whole lot to draw from. Right. So personally, acting performances are great. I love, you know me, I love gritty New York, and I get lots of it in this movie. <laughs> oh, boy. All of the other supporting characters, you know, Peter Boyle's fantastic in this. Um, Sybil Shepard is great. Um, Albert Brooks is funny. He's one of the fu- only funny things in it. Um, and I personally love this movie simply because I I can change my mind. I can say, oh, well, maybe that did happen, or maybe this did happen. But what I like about it is is that it is a character study that is a character study so close that we're inside the guy's head. So, yes, I recommend <laughs> Steve, what do you think about my stupid conspiracy theory about Taxi Driver? <laughs> that That is not my reading of the film. I know. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, it's plausible. Like, it's a plausible. I think it fits. Um, yeah, but, you know, my, my own reading of the film is that it, that it all... I, I agree with your assessment of his character. Like, I, we agree completely that he's he's deluded and he's ineffectual and he's frustrated and he, he yearns to do something that will make a difference uh, and, and he just doesn't have... 
the tools to do that. Um, but no, I think everything that we see in the movie actually happened. I, and I, that, that's why I think that ending is so ironic. And, you know, another part of it is like when you when we talk about, you know, he wants to do something important. He wants to do something that matters. He wants to do something that would make a difference um, mm-hmm. to sort of escape that that impotence, that 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 uh, mediocrity that he you know, doesn't think is really him. Um, mm-hmm. He he does his big thing, and just by pure chance, because the dominoes happen to fall his way, he gets you know seen as a hero. See, yeah, I don't. <laughs> my my interpretation of that is is that his impotence as a person is his driving factor, and the fact is is that he never he does not get he. It's not an ironic ending to me. It is just I know. pure fantasy on my part. Right, and I like viewing it that way. It's like this guy doesn't get to succeed because there's nothing in him that will allow it to. Well, but see, I, the, the way I look at it, I mean, yeah, he, he does, he succeeds in a sense, but when we see him at the end, like his life has gone completely back to the way it was before. Like, he he seems a little more relaxed at first mm-hmm. and, until that final shot, but I mean, other than that, like, he did his big heroic thing, and nothing changed. Like, he's still driving a cab, he's still hanging out with the same people, he's still basically the same guy he was before, so even his great triumph that he kind Kind of backs into uh, doesn't really make a difference in his life. I mean, yeah. you can say like, I think well, ultimately, you know, if yeah. you have this position and I have this one, it doesn't fucking matter whether no, it was I think fantasy that, yeah, on the, his part or whether it actually happened to the character. It doesn't matter. He's still in the same place. Yeah, the character. Uh, yeah, our, I think our our takes on the character are, are pretty much the same. Yeah, mm-hmm. I will fight you over this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm concocting a fantasy right now. The, the real question is, was he awake or asleep at the end of Inception? <laughs> See, I mean, you can take this movie straightforward and believe that everyone in it is a reliable narrator. Who is our narrator in this movie, Steve? It's Travis Bickle. And is he sane? <laughs> nope. Does he see the world the way we see the world? He does not. He does not. So if he's our narrator and he's completely unreliable, then I I doubt any of this. That's one of the other reasons why I doubt any right. of this stuff happened. Um, but I think that viewing it the other way is also just as valid, um, and, it, and it makes different points. It's one of the reasons why I like this movie, because you can have this discussion while eating your apple pie with yellow cheese on top <laughs> after the movie. <laughs> Yeah, and and it also it should probably be said since since we've both given our interpretations that Scorsese's personal interpretation isn't quite either one of those. No, you know no. he he views it more as I think he he likened Bickle at one point to it, the story of a saint, like who yeah. has a, who has a deeply troubled life and goes through like a trial by fire and and emerges on the other side a changed person. Uh-huh. Um, you know, so his his view of it as as the filmmaker is is very different from what we have said as well. Yeah, I don't see that. I neither. All. Do I? I don't really. I, I don't think Bickle is. I don't view even if you view him as a saint, you know, and and you don't assume that saint means you're a good person, mm. you know, like you you more like the life of a saint, the trials, you know, and and the the adversity and the obstacles right. and the can't like, wait to see that stained glass Saint Travis. <laughs> saint Travis, like yeah, I just I don't I don't. That's just not the way I read the movie. Like I don't see him as. You know, I, I see Saint Travis I, of the weeping child prostitute. <laughs> oh my god, perfect! Yeah, like I just I see whatever redemption he gains as temporary and illusory, and and based on people, the people who mm-hmm. decided that he was a good guy, not knowing who he was. Right. You know, like so. But mm-hmm. that's that. I mean, wh- what does Scorsese know? He only made the movie, so. <laughs> 
But I think Scorsese knows that people will interpret his film differently than the way he made it. Oh, absolutely. He's one of those filmmakers that understands that other people's interpretations of his work are valid. Yeah. He may have wanted to direct it in one way, but he's also open to people interpreting it in a different way. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think if, if he heard your take on it, I don't think he would be like, no, no, you're wrong. You're insane. That's not Get it. out of my classroom. That's not it. <laughs> <laughs> Get out of my classroom at NYU. <laughs> All right, Steve. So classic, classic, two classes. Classic. All right, Steve. Yes. You got a movie you don't want to recommend? <sighs> I do. Okay, go for I it. I do, baby. actually. It, ju- just like Taxi Driver, this is a very bloody, gory, violent movie. Yay. Um, it, uh, it actually, it even stars one of the uh, cast members of Taxi Driver, although he has a much bigger role in this movie I'm about to tell you about. Uh, it's uh, Joe Spinell, who was the uh, the taxi company guy that hires Travis in the, in the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Um, and this is a movie that uh, it, it was once described by a uh, reviewer, as the film about Travis Bickle that Travis Bickle would have made. And and it's a little movie from 1980 called Maniac. Oh, God. There are, and I have to say it's from 1980 because there are about 15,000 movies named Maniac. Called Maniac, yeah. Um, This is that Maniac. And it's about a guy who lives in New York City who is is a serial killer who who basically spends the whole movie just murdering women. And it, uh, some people like it. I personally don't think it's that great of a movie. I mean, it it, it has a few kind of redeeming qualities. I think some of the acting is pretty good. It's not a it's it's a fairly well made movie for being so low budget. Um, mm-hmm. But it's basically just an orgy of violence. It's just a, a series of scenes where a guy just murders a bunch of women, right. and and a, the violence to me comes across as very gratuitous. Um, you know, there doesn't seem to be a lot of redeeming value in, in the story or the character arc. And it has, um, to top all of that off, it has a cheesy horror movie ending where, where, where the, the killer is, uh, is apparently dead. And then at the last second, right as we're about to cut to the credits, his eyes pop open, you know, dun, dun, dun. just like, just like fucking Jason Voorhees, like sitting up or something. It's like, oh, okay. So he's like a horror movie monster now. Great. Right. Um, so yeah, it, 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 it has a lot of things in common aesthetically and in terms of subject matter with Taxi Driver, not nearly as complex, not nearly as much fun to think about and talk about and and interpret as we've just been doing. Um, So yeah, if you watched Taxi Driver and you enjoyed it, I am going to not recommend that you see Maniac. Yay! As you guys know, I like to not recommend a movie from the same year as the movie that we just reviewed, and it's 1976. And someone done decided to make a biopic uh, about one of my favorite classic movie comedians. But they also decided to make it god-awful and (laughs) cast an actor that I can't stand in the lead part who plays him like he's had a stroke. Oh, boy. The the movie I'm talking about is called W.C. Fields and Me. Oh. Starring Rod Steiger and directed by Arthur Hiller. Arthur can make a good movie every once in a while, but he didn't this time. (laughs) This is a god-awful mess. It is a treacly, awful, gross, I hate it. I hate it. I love W.C. Fields, and I hate this. It's literally Rod Steiger doing a a bad comedian's impression of W.C. Fields for about two and a half fucking hours. (laughs) So if you see this, and it's going to be on TV or something, don't watch it. I don't think you could rent it. I don't think it ever made a DVD copy of it. (laughs) They didn't waste the plastic on this. Yeah, just don't bother. Oh, my cat's chiming in. Uh. 
Um, I didn't so like yeah. it either. I oh my god! Shut up! I'm not talking to you. You <laughs> want it outside? You knew it was 110 degrees <laughs> out here. No, I don't care. Uh, Die. Everybody's anyway. a critic. <laughs> anyway, Steve, guess what? What? It's time for you to make a terrible choice. Oh god! It's just like one of those Saw movies. That's right. So at the end of every episode, Steve now has to choose the next movie we're going to review. Oh and I give him three blind choices. Steve does not know what movies are behind this, and he must make one. So, Steve, oh boy. choose A, B, <laughs> or C. The cat me out at A, so I'm going to go with A. A! Hooray! <laughs> so I've played a dirty trick on Steve. Oh, boy. Had Steve chosen C, we would be watching The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. Oh, okay. Had he chosen B, we would have been watching The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. <laughs> but since he chose A, <laughs> we're going to review... The Lord of the Rings, <laughs> The Two Towers. You bastard. <laughs> this is what I call the continuing education of Steve until he cryingly admits that he likes the Lord of the Rings movie. Oh, man. This he is didn't the- like Fellowship. He had openly admitted he didn't watch the other two movies. That's correct. It is the, the little tiny dream in my heart that by watching, watching them and putting all of them together, that'll go, oh, okay, I can see why people like it. But I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> Maybe. I'm just being mean at this point. <laughs> uh, it is an abuse of power, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you want to get all the jokes or understand why Steve's not talking to me anymore, <laughs> you'll watch The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, not the extended edition, but the theatrical release. Uh, well, you'll there, save it, yourself least... about three and a half hours worth of time. <laughs> At least there is that tiny mercy. So what I suggest to Steve is that you watch Fellowship again uh, to get prepared for The Two Towers. <laughs> I mean, I think I can remember it. Yeah. Uh-huh. And that's it. Thanks, you guys, for tuning in again for Late Seating. This has been Jason Harding, and go see a movie this week. And this has been Steve Shives. Now I see it clearly. My whole life is pointed in one direction. Yeah, the two towers. (laughs) There is. It's actually it's appropriate for what you just did because the last part is there has never been any choice for me. (laughs) And and as it turns out, there wasn't. There wasn't any choice. I mean, I mean, I'm sorry. I mean, it's no, it's fine. It's like you before we started the 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 terrible choice gimmick. You just picked the movie and told me what we were going to do. So (laughs) at least at least now there's the illusion of control, right? Yeah, right. That and I wanted to make you watch the two towers. And then you'd be like, I go into my fantasy world where you show up at my house and you're like crying and you're like, I'm sorry, I ever besearched this. We're best friends now. We dress up like hobbits and they find our corpses out in a field somewhere. (laughs) See, I I thought that I was coming into your house to beg you to not make me watch the third one. Please, man, I can't do this again. Please, I know we, I know there's three movies and we only did two, but you have to just let me go, okay? I'm thinking I'm going to make you finish up the series this year. Okay. How, how about them, Apples? Let's, let's do that. We can do that. Then then, I, then I'm free. Well, no, then we've got to do The Hobbit. we got to do The Hobbit. And they made, what, 12 of those out of that little then book? Then you'll hear me cry. <laughs> Why? Why couldn't this be one 90-minute film? <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. <sighs> All right. In three, you're sure you don't hate me? Oh, of course not. Man, I was really hoping for that. <laughs> <I thought> Two. <laughs>
Late Seating is a Let Me Listen podcast production featuring Steve Shives and Jason Harding. Produced by Jason Harding. Theme music, Rollin' at Five, composed and performed by Kevin McLeod. You can find more Let Me Listen podcast productions at our website at www.letmelistenpodcast.com. You can also find us on Stitcher, iTunes, or just about anywhere you download podcasts. Late Seating is a listener-supported podcast. If you would like to support Late Seating or any of the other Let Me Listen productions for as little as $1 a month, please visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash Let Me Listen. And thanks for listening.